Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And, and this, this is, is DBT and Me. Hello, everyone. It's Kate. And today is going to be a bit of a different podcast experience uh, due to a few different factors. So Michelle and I actually recorded this episode last week, and unfortunately there was a technical malfunction and we lost all of Michelle's audio. So we were going to re-record the, um, the episode this week today. And lo and behold, Michelle has come down with COVID and is really sick. So rather than delay the release of the episode even further, uh, what she and I have decided to do is to have me record the episode for you guys. So a little bit of a different experience today. It's all going to be me, uh, which means you have to deal with occasional pauses so I can take a sip of my tea or things like that. Uh, and none of the awesome back and forth banter, which makes me sad. But uh, I didn't want to delay this any further. And I wanted to try and make sure that Michelle is doing a good job of resting up and taking care of herself when she's sick. I know she'll listen to this audio later. So yes, Michelle, I'm calling you out about not always taking good enough care of yourself when you're sick. So Without further ado, let's introduce what we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to be talking about today, what I'm going to be talking about today, I suppose, more accurately. So this whole episode is going to be about utilizing different DBT skills in order to help cope with different types of anxiety or anxiety disorders. Uh, so... Just briefly, I'm going to go over the four different types of uh, anxiety disorders, I guess, that we are, we, I'm going to say we a lot today. I apologize in advance. <laughs> the four different kinds of anxiety disorder that I'm going to be talking about different skills for. So the first one is generalized anxiety disorder. This is, I would argue, plausibly the most commonly diagnosed anxiety disorder. And this one is marked by excessive, exaggerated anxiety and worry about everyday life events for no obvious reason. So people with symptoms of this disorder tend to always expect disaster and can't stop worrying about health, money, friends, work, school, really all of those sort of day-to-day -day life experiences that we all go through. Um, oh, I do want to say before I go too much further, these uh, definitions of the different disorders aren't my wording. I did go and find more official wording for all of these, just so I made sure I was covering uh, the differences pretty well. So 
That's generalized anxiety disorder. The next one is social anxiety disorder. So for folks with this one, everyday social interactions cause irrationally intense anxiety, fear, self-consciousness, and embarrassment. So symptoms may include excess fear of situations in which one might be judged, worry about embarrassment or humiliation, uh, or concern about offending someone. Next is panic disorder. This is an anxiety disorder that's characterized by unexpected and repeated episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms that may include chest pain, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, or abdominal distress. Um, I will add to this one uh, just to say that a lot of people with panic disorders, with anxiety attacks, which is what this is really talking about, or panic attacks, actually end up going to the hospital because they fear that they're having a heart attack or some other serious health concern. So this one's really physical and intense. Uh, and last but certainly not least, we're going to talk a little bit about agoraphobia. This is a kind of anxiety disorder in which you feel sorry, in which you fear and avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic and make you feel trapped, helpless, or embarrassed. So you might fear an actual or anticipated situation, such as using public transportation, being in open or enclosed spaces, standing in line, or being in a crowd. Um, the term agoraphobia actually comes from, I believe it's ancient Greek... Mm, I could be wrong about it being Greek. It could be Latin. Um, but the agora was actually the sort of open air market and place for doing a lot of socializing, making business deals, um, sometimes even preaching or talking about the gods in ancient society. So that's where that word is rooted from, which I enjoy because I'm a word nerd. <laughs> so if you think about agoraphobia and the sort of stereotypical idea of being afraid of crowds or large open spaces, things like that. That comes from the, the agora uh, in the ancient world. So anyway, those are the four disorders that I'm going to talk about and try to give you guys each uh, specific skills that we, Michelle and I, did think would be most helpful for addressing the specific concerns of each of these disorders. So first, for generalized anxiety disorder, one of the top ones that we recommend is check the facts, right? Check the facts is so useful for helping to ground us back to what's real. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but my mind is pretty prone to running away with me at times, um, especially if I'm in a state of high anxiety. And so check the facts yeah, is really grounding and helps to bring you back to what is real. Uh, if you'll remember back to the episode about Check the Facts, my sort of shorthand for that is, what do I actually know, right? Because so much of generalized anxiety disorder is about this projection into the future or assumptions about how things are going to turn out or how they are going. And Check the Facts can help bring you back to what is and what we actually do and can know, right? Because the future isn't actually ours to know. Uh, and when we get lost up in these hypothetical futures, it's really easy to get just overcome with the anxiety of thinking about those options. So check the facts, super useful for bringing yourself 
back into the moment. Um, also, Michelle and I always like to emphasize that Check the Facts isn't just about showing you if maybe your emotions or their intensity doesn't fit the facts, but also sometimes it can help you realize and reassure yourself that they do. Uh, something else is really common for me with anxiety is I can get to the point where I also don't trust my own anxiety, right? It shows up so often for inexplicable or, you know, not reasonable um, situations for me to be that anxious. So I might be prone to distrusting my anxiety, you know, sort of as a default. And sometimes check the facts can help us remember we're not always wrong. Sometimes our anxiety does fit the facts and its intensity, right? So I get worried that some people see check the facts as something that's just invalidating, right? Or, or tearing you down. And I hope you're not using it that way, even if you find that your emotions don't fit the facts. I hope you're using it to help as a grounding tool. But also remember that sometimes it's going to tell you your experience does fit the facts. And that can also be mm, really what's the word I want? Reassuring, right? Or validating. So check the facts is the first one. Next would be your wise mind, right? Most of the time, I would say generalized anxiety disorder and really almost any anxiety disorder lives primarily in our emotion mind. Uh, so wise mind can help us pull in an amount of our reason mind to help balance that equation out and come from a more yeah, balanced and open-minded kind of space, but also sometimes we can, I don't know how right to put it, but our reasonable minds or what appears to be our reasonable minds can do a good job of trying to talk us into why we're right to be, uh, to be feeling anxious. I notice this a lot with, um, my clients sometimes that I'm like, you're too smart for your own good. You utilize your intelligence to try and convince yourself of why, you know, why your anxiety is correct when it's not, right? So whichever way you tend to learn, whether your anxiety tends to live more obviously you're in, in your emotion mind, or maybe it shows up in a guise that looks like your reason mind, right? Wise mind is going to help you be grounded and centered and balanced. Um, and ideally, at least a little bit calmer and feeling more able to move forward with whatever's going on in your world right then. Uh, and last but certainly not least, effective rethinking and paired relaxation, right? In things like panic disorder, that's where a lot of really intense physiological sensations show up, but it shows up too to a lesser extent in generalized anxiety disorder, and that can look like tensed muscles or you know, other things that show that we're on edge, that we're, we're tense, we're scared, we're anxious. Uh, and so effective rethinking and paired relaxation is really nice because it helps to address the physiological aspects as well as the psychological aspects of anxiety, right? Sometimes our anxiety is going to pop up seemingly out of nowhere and for no reason. But if you're someone like me who does struggle with anxiety, there's probably some situations that you just know trigger your anxiety, right? This could be time spent to go hang out with family or hang out with in-laws. This could be going to work or going to school, facing a commute, right? Anything like that that you know sparks your anxiety, you can utilize this skill for, right? You can try and find that 
more, I think they say more effective thought around the thing that's giving you anxiety and help to pair that with slow, deep breathing, relaxing your muscles, right? And that's building new associations in your body and in your brain around whatever this anxiety causing situation is. So if it's, you know, out of the blue, we might not be able to access effective rethinking and paired relaxation, but I'm betting most of us have situations that we know cause us this anxiety. Uh, and that can be a really lovely skill for helping to address that. The second type of anxiety disorder we're going to talk about again is social anxiety disorder. And check the facts is actually one of my favorites for this one too. Um, I won't beleaguer uh, the points uh, by going over it quite as in depth as I just did for uh, generalized anxiety disorder, but it you know, serves the same purposes. Social anxiety is often formulated, no, not formulated, excuse me, uh, founded on these projected ideas of how we believe people are perceiving us, how we think people are going to react to us, right? It's a lot of mind reading kind of assumptions or future tripping. Uh, and so, right, you can be like, check the facts could help us differentiate between, oh, I bet this person is looking at their phone right now because I'm boring them because I'm horrible at making small talk and I'm so embarrassed and this is going to be terrible forever to, oh, you know what? What do I actually know? Well, this person's looking at their phone. This could be because they're anxious about something. This could be because they're waiting on an important call or text. This could be, right? Like there's so many other possibilities for why this thing might be going on. And so check the facts, especially I would say even the shortened version uh, of check the facts can be super helpful for social anxiety to show that we are reacting not to things we know, but to things we're projecting or assuming. Uh, the next one is give, uh, which might sound a little bit strange, but a for some people who experience social anxiety, Part of it is this idea that they don't know how to interact, right? And so they're going to fuck it up. Uh, give is a nice scaffolding, right? Give is a, you know, something you can say to yourself, something you can memorize, and something you can then take into social situations as a, I don't want to say crutch because everyone that sort of has negative connotations and I don't want it to be that more like a crutch when you actually need a crutch, right? <laughs> like sometimes you need a little bit of help to get through a rough situation and give can give, oh, I hate give can give you, I hate saying that, but I don't know how else to phrase it, right? Something upon which to build your social interactions, a sort of mold or blueprint or scaffolding, however you want to think about it to help give you that structure um, to better, understand how to interact with humans in a way that's probably going to be either just flat out positive or at the very least not destructive uh, to you or to the relationships you have with the people you're interacting with. Uh, and the last one for social anxiety is cope ahead, right? This has a lot of similarities with effective rethinking and paired relaxation, but this one I feel like is sort of turning a lot of anxiety on its head, especially social anxiety, right? So much social anxiety comes from our imagination, again, running away with us and telling us all sorts of horrible stories about what is happening or what's going to happen. So we all know the power of our imaginations, especially folks with high anxiety, right? 
you know just how much your imagination can kind of kick your own ass, right? When you're going into these situations. On the other hand, you can use Cope Ahead to harness the power of your imagination for good, right? Because just briefly again, right, Cope Ahead is about imagining a situation or a scenario. Imagine the people or the, you know, environment going up as close to quote unquote real as you can, uh, and then practicing in your own mind and in your own imagination how you want to act, right? You're essentially rehearsing your lines, practicing how you want to behave in your imagination before you actually get to the situation itself. So, right, cope ahead can really help, especially for those social situations that we know we're going to be having to face uh, either every day, like a class or the office or something like that, or a bigger situation like a family member's wedding or something like that, right? Cope ahead can really support you in using your imagination, well, as a support as opposed to a hindrance. So, ah, next on the line is panic disorder. So strategies for helping cope with panic attacks, the very first thing I think about is tip, right? Again, if you think about panic attacks, these are overwhelming situations, right? Overwhelming physical sensations, often racing thoughts, right? It is not a time to be trying to do a really brainy, you know, thought-focused skill, probably, right? If you've already just found yourself smack dab in the middle of a panic attack, using tip is going to do the best job, I think, of all of the DBT skills at helping bring you down a few notches, right? It may not solve the uh, panic attack instantaneously, but it's going to bring the emotional intensity down a lot uh, to the point where you have options in how you'd like to then address your emotions. So tip, I think, is the best skill for in the middle of, right, being in a panic attack. Uh, if you're on the other side of a panic attack, either you've brought yourself down a few notches by using tip or the panic attack is just starting to wind down on its own, then I think self-soothing with the five senses is invaluable, right? Panic attacks are hard. They're scary. They're intense. They're overwhelming. After going through something like that, you deserve some care, some tenderness, some compassion, right? And self-soothing with the five senses is a great way to give yourself those things. It's awesome if you have someone in your environment who can help give you those things as well, but self-soothing, that's something you can always do for you, right? No matter who else may or may not be around at the time. Uh, and maybe not always, but oftentimes there's something in our environment just anyway that we could use for self-soothing, right? Maybe something we could get a hot drink or we can, you know, get a fuzzy or furry blanket that's around us or we can look at, you know, pictures of baby owls on our phone or, right? There's often something with us anyway, but, you know, this is, if you're someone who deals with panic attacks a lot and self-soothing is a really central skill for you, 
I also really uh, encourage folks to make a self-soothing kit, right? Take things with you deliberately, right? That you know you can utilize for self-soothing. Maybe some, uh, what's the word? Essential oils or lotion or something else that you think smells really good or feels good to your skin, right? Little cute things that make you smile, whatever, right? Everyone's self-soothing kit is going to look different because they're personal and unique. Uh, on the other hand, if you have caught yourself starting to approach a panic attack, not everybody can do this because some people's panic attacks just come on out of nowhere really suddenly and quickly. Um, or, you know, if you're still building that self-awareness to be able to notice the signs or signals that you might be approaching a panic attack, right? So maybe not everyone can or is in the place in their journey where they do notice that they're ramping up into a panic attack. But if you can, if you do notice that, then stop is a wonderful skill, right? Um, I will never get over how amusing it is to me that the S in stop means stop. feels like one of those things where they set up the mirrors. So it's that infinite recursion of mirrors within mirrors within mirrors, right? Stop, 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 stop. Anyway, sorry, my sense of humor. <laughs> no, no Michelle to curb me today. Mwahaha. Uh, anyway, right? So stop is all about quitting what you're doing and taking a step back from that situation. Michelle's favorite way to practice stop is to excuse yourself to the restroom. Very few people will question that action, no matter what kind of situation you're in. And that gives you some space. You can even in the bathroom practice a sort of modified version of tip by splashing cold water on your face and neck right? Or I, maybe you just go in there and you can do a short mindfulness exercise, right? Something to help stop that ramp up into the panic attack. Um, but first and foremost, by, yeah, stopping what you're doing and getting some space between you and the triggering situation that you're in. Uh, and then like, for the most part, again, I think that panic attacks are often very physiological, but if a part of it for you is really, really anxious thoughts, then I also recommend the thoughts component of accepts. Um, specifically the four letter L words, right? Listing as many four letter words to start with the letter L as you can, uh, or the counting backwards from a thousand by increasing prime numbers, because those don't leave a lot of room in your brain for other thoughts. Uh, and I've had a lot of clients come back to me and tell me that the four letter L word, um, I guess tactic, skill, skill, we'll go skill, uh, has been incredibly helpful to them uh, when it comes to stopping and calming down from panic attacks. So in, in summary for panic attacks, we've got tip, for in the midst of it, self-soothe for on the other side of it, stop when you're feeling like you're ramping up into one, and maybe thoughts, depending on how you function personally, for also, again, in the middle of the panic attack itself. So, all right. I have a feeling that by myself, this episode is going to be, shall we say, a bit shorter than usual. I don't know if I talk less than Michelle or if I just talk faster than Michelle. But whenever I do stuff by myself, it tends to 
Yeah, go a little bit faster. So we're already on the fourth type of anxiety. And that was agoraphobia. Uh, we have two skills here, but possibly one of the biggest ones is going to be opposite action, right? The biggest mm, threat or worry when it comes to agoraphobia and its extreme, right, is that idea of being shut in, right? Being unable to set foot outside of your house, right? Because you're so scared of how you're going to feel when you leave, right? Oftentimes, uh, agoraphobia is paired with panic attacks. You you get a panic attack somewhere out in public, and then you want to avoid that place or that thing or that type of situation um, so that you can avoid the panic attack. But maybe you have a panic attack in a new situation. And so, right, you just start avoiding more and more and more and more places or activities until your life is just made really small, right? And so opposite action for fear, for anxiety, can be invaluable here, right? This idea of approaching the thing that scares you, right? Uh, this is, you know, if you work with a therapist, it's nice to know just how hard to push your opposite action. I will say try and judge yourself. Um, also, if you don't have a therapist, right, because it's going to be uncomfortable. It, that's expected. That's even, that's warranted. That's okay. Um, but also we're not trying to traumatize you. Right? So taking smaller steps, right? If you're too scared to walk around the block, at least stepping outside of your house and maybe standing on the sidewalk for five minutes, right? And allowing right your emotions to come up and then calm back down again, right? This is similar to exposure therapy, if anybody's familiar with that one, right? But just not allowing the fear to constantly push you backwards, instead intentionally taking steps forward towards the things that frighten you, towards the situations where you had those panic attacks, right? Opposite action to fear, right? Ideally, one of the things that that can show you, uh, especially over time, is that bad things don't always happen in that situation, right? And then your brain can slowly start to learn, okay, yep, I had a panic attack on the bus that one time, but now I've, you know, gone on the bus five or six times since and I haven't had a panic attack. So maybe being on the bus is okay. Right? That's basically the idea of what we're trying to do with opposite action here. Oh, excuse me. That yawn came out of nowhere. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, so uh, the last skill for agoraphobia is just mindfulness as a whole, right? Instead of getting lost in your fears, trying to focus in on a non-judgmental stance, one thing, right? All of those what and how skills for mindfulness and maybe actually helping to focus you into smaller sort of subsets of your world, right? Mindfulness has such a broad, you know, application. We can do mindfulness in a way that's attempting to just let absolutely everything come into our awareness that wants to all the physical sensations, everything that we're seeing around us, all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, right? We're just sort of wide open with our mindfulness. But also mindfulness can be mindfulness of an object, right? A super focused in kind of mindfulness, right? And so Somewhere between those two settings, you might find that 
um, well, on either end or anywhere in between those two settings, right? You might find that mindfulness helps you focus in just enough to help you move through a situation, right? So you can use mindfulness to keep yourself with sort of a running commentary of what's going on around you. Um, and that might help you feel just a little bit like an observer from the situation and give you that little half step back that mindfulness can. Uh, and also a running monologue doesn't necessarily leave a lot of room for anxious thoughts, right? So this could be, you know, I'm walking to the bus stop now. I notice that, you know, I can smell spring is on the air. I am paying attention to the flowers. You know, that one's yellow. That one's pink. You know, I notice that I can feel the wind moving my hair. I right, And just sort of talking yourself through your experience can often not, you know, both give you that distance, like mindfulness does, that little uh, half a step back into an observational stance, and also just not leave a lot of room for other more anxiety-focused thoughts. Sometimes even mindfulness of your own internal experience gives you that little half step back from it that allows you to pass through the anxious experience rather than avoiding it. So um, just as a super quick recap, the strategies that we have for working with generalized anxiety disorder, or I guess the skills, not the strategies, are check the facts, wise mind, effective rethinking, and paired relaxation. For social anxiety, we suggest check the facts, give, and cope ahead. For panic disorder, we recommend tip, self-soothe, stop, and the T, the thoughts from accepts. And for agoraphobia, we recommend opposite action and mindfulness. So hopefully in there, you have found, uh, yeah, some skills that you can try out and see if they help you if you are one of the I don't know even how many millions of people cope with one or more of these anxiety disorders. So uh, time for awkward self-promotion. It seems so funny. I'm so used to going back and forth with Michelle on these things. It's weird to do all of it by myself. Um, it's also weird to feel like I'm talking to myself <laughs> without having a video of Michelle to interact with, but we're getting through it. You guys, we're getting through it. So First, in awkward self-promotion, a big shout out to two new patrons of the podcast, Isabel and Anna. Thank you both so very much. You helped to make the podcast possible. And truly, with every patron that signs up, Michelle and I just feel warm in our hearts. It means so much to us that uh, you guys care about us and about the podcast enough to support it. So thank you so much. If you'd like to be shouted out in an upcoming podcast, uh, feel free to become a patron as well. You can find us at patreon.com slash dbtandme. Uh, check out also our Etsy shop, which if you go to Etsy, just search for DBT and me. We've got fun uh, DBT focused uh, merch there from socks to mugs and a whole lot in between. If you listen to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate a rate and review, though I suppose anywhere you're listening to us, if you're able to, we appreciate those ratings. Uh, send us emails. We love to hear how our suggestions are working out for folks. We love to get questions for Q&As down the line. We love, yeah, just if you have 
anything you want to share with us, we love hearing from our listeners. That email is dbtnmepodcast at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, uh, we also recommend you check out our other podcast, The Couch and the Chair. Wherever you're listening to DBT and me, just search for The Couch and the Chair and you ought to be able to find us. Uh, We love DBT, but there's more to the world than it. And so The Couch and the Chair is where Michelle and I talk about mental health issues through a lens other than DBT uh, and also do a lot of self-disclosure about our own mental health journeys. Okay, I think that's awkward self-promotion done. Before I launch into the closing moment, I do need to give a little bit of a mm, introduction, uh, explanation. (laughs) So uh, what this next exercise is based on is actually something that I say to my clients a lot about their anxiety. Not strictly DBT, but something I think... Um, Well, something I found with my clients is enormously helpful is this idea of turning towards your anxiety and basically trying to have a conversation with it, right? If we think uh, biologically, right, the purpose of the emotion of anxiety or fear is to keep us safe, is to keep us alive and well. Uh, I'd like to think of it as a very well-meaning friend whose execution is terrible, (laughs) right uh right they mean well but they actually often end up doing more harm than good right but nevertheless anxiety wants to tell you why it thinks you should be afraid right it wants to tell you what you know sort of has a memo and oftentimes if we try to stuff the anxiety turn away from the anxiety shut down the anxiety this can actually make the anxiety more intense um sort of, again, I know I'm anthropomorphizing an emotion, but in an attempt to give you the memo, right? It will just keep throwing a bigger tissy fit until you listen to it. So I have had a lot of clients have a lot of success with turning towards your anxiety and just sort of asking it, what's up? So that is going to be what our closing moment is going to be focused on today is this idea of conversing with your anxiety. So As per usual, start by just getting into a comfortable position, whatever that means for you right now. That could be sitting, standing, laying down, walking, whatever feels good to you and to your body in this moment. And if you're safe and feel comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. Now, we're going to start by just noticing our breath. You don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you do naturally. It's just about tuning in. Just about really focusing on the rhythms and the sensations of your breath and letting them welcome you into your body and into the present moment. So today I'd like you to think about a situation that either is or is going to be bringing about some anxiety for you. Try and pick something that's on the mild to moderate end of the scale of anxiety, not something that's extremely provoking for you right now. But yeah, something about which you're feeling anxiety mildly to moderately. 
Go ahead and bring the situation to mind and just stay there for a moment, right? Take some time to let the thoughts and the physical sensations of your anxiety show up for you right now. And you have your situation in mind when you've allowed yourself to enter that space of anxiety. I want you now to imagine in your mind's eye a personification of your anxiety. Maybe what you're anxious about is a real person or a real relationship. So um, I would avoid, though, having the personification of your anxiety be an actual person in your life. Um, rather something that's iconic for you. Um, maybe this actually looks like a human, maybe it looks like an animal, a shape, a color, whatever works for you in the moment as an embodiment or personification of your anxiety around this issue. Once you have that in your mind's eye, I want you to go ahead and again, in your mind, literally orient yourself towards that anxiety. Uh, if you're picturing yourself in your mind, try and picture yourself having willing hands here, right? So palms out or palms up if you're sitting. And ask your anxiety what it wants to tell you. Ask it what it has to say. And wait and listen with patience and with openness. Now, anxiety can sometimes be like a toddler. Maybe it has something coherent and important and reasonable to say. And maybe when you ask it what it has to say, all it answers with is incoherent screaming. That's okay. It can be gibberish. It can be screaming. It can be very reasonable or rational sounding. There's no right or wrong ways for your anxiety to communicate with you right now. The real point is just that you orient towards it and listen. Take in whatever it has to tell you. Once you've done that, once you feel ready, I want you to go ahead and very kindly and very warmly tell your anxiety thank you. Tell it that you're grateful that it's trying to keep you alive. Tell it thank you for trying to warn you. Thank you for trying to keep you safe. Right? Because again, that's the whole point and purpose of anxiety. It may misfire more often than it fires appropriately now, especially in our modern culture, but that's its purpose and that's what it's trying to do at its root. So again, we're listening to what it has to say and thanking it. Now, if what it has to say really was reasonable, you can tell it that you're going to try and be safe, that maybe you'll make some changes, do something differently. Tell it that it had a good point. If what it had to say was totally irrational or nonsensical gibberish or just screaming, then after listening and after thanking it, uh, just say, you know what, thank you, but we're going to be okay. 
right? Thanks for trying to keep me safe and I'm going to go ahead and do this thing anyway, right? I appreciate, you know, you trying to warn me and also everything's going to be all right, right? Some sort of reassurance and possibly some sort of recommitment to whatever the thing was that was filling you with this anxiety to begin with. Once you've done that, once you've faced it, listened to it, thanked it, and reassured it, I want you to go ahead and let that visualization fade away in your mind. In order to help the anxiety clear, uh, I do say this time, instead of recommending, I'm going to just say, take a few slow, deep breaths, right? We want to exhale for longer than we're inhaling, right? And start to bring to mind something about your day that's positive, something that you're looking forward to, something that you have anticipation for, right? We're hoping to just a little bit cleanse the emotional palate from the anxiety you were just feeling. And then once you've taken your breaths and you've thought about your good thing for the day, if you feel like it, you can go ahead and do some light stretches, whatever feels good and right to your body. And whenever you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for putting up with a weird episode. And Michelle and I will be back next month. Thanks again, everyone. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.